0: This is The Lydia Project, Conversations with Christian Women. Our name is inspired by the life-changing conversation that Lydia had with Paul, recorded in Acts 16. On this podcast, you'll hear from a variety of women whose lives have also been impacted by the truth of the gospel. Your hosts, Tori Walker and Taryn Hayes, hope that you too will be challenged and inspired by how the gospel truths are being worked out in the lives of their guests, ordinary women who serve an extraordinary God. Today, your host is Tori Walker, Hello and welcome to another episode of The Lydia
1: Project. Thanks so much for listening. It is great to be in your ears and we really hope and it's our prayer that this conversation, like all the others, will be an encouragement to you. It will spur you on in your thinking about God and what he's done for you in Christ. It will encourage you in your ministry and help you see what Christians are doing around Australia and indeed around the world. Today's guest is living uh, overseas and working overseas, and in this conversation I have with her, she talks about how sometimes being on home assignment uh, can be quite stressful for cross-cultural workers, and she just goes into a bit more detail about that and gives us some really good insight into what would be some helpful questions to ask and things to pray for, for our friends who are on home assignment, um, especially in light of COVID, which might be a bit extended. So before we go on with the episode, I just want to remind you about the lovely offer that The Wandering Bookseller has for Lydia Project listeners. If you would like to read one or all of the books that we will be reading as a little virtual book club this year, you can go to thewanderingbookseller.com.au and head to the Lydia Project page which has a list of all those books. Uh, The first one is the one by Mark Rogop about Lamenting and uh, it's a great, great book you will really enjoy reading and I'm sure and we actually have an interview with the author coming up so I'm looking forward to that and I hope you are too. Um, But yeah, if you would like to buy that book from The Wandering Bookseller or any of the other books, if you type Lydia15 at the checkout, you'll get a 15% discount on any of those books that you buy. So feel free to avail yourself of that. All right, on with the interview. Katie, welcome to The Lydia Project. Lovely to chat with you. I would like to start by asking you how you came to faith in Christ.
2: Well, I was privileged to grow up in a believing family and I was baptised at around the age of 14, I think. But through my teenage years, I sort of was not quite sitting on the fence, but quite strong in both directions. And through various obstacles and experiences that I went through sort of around the period after school, my understanding of how faith really applied to life didn't really stand up to some of that. So I guess I came to that point of deciding which path to choose and and I actually chose to give up my faith. So it wasn't really a falling gradually away, it was an actual decision. However, it didn't last very long and several things just brought me back to the point that I really needed to seek out God and recommit to him. And part of that was really, I think, just becoming aware of the the sin in my own heart and seeing the fruit of that in my life. And secondly, coming face-to-face, I think, with the actuality of what would be my main alternative, which would be atheism. And when I really considered through people, I knew what that meant. I found, found that I couldn't believe that. And so that turned me back to God in repentance and sort of seeking him in a more authentic way.
1: I've heard it said that you have to have a lot of faith to be an atheist. To believe that there's nothing actually requires a certain leap of faith. Does that ring true with how you explored atheism and faith in Christ?
2: Yeah, I think so. And I think many people continue more in you know, agnosticism, which I may have been able to do, but I had spent a fair bit of time with someone who, who was an atheist and quite a happy atheist, not one of these angry people. But he was talking about how it was amazing, how, you know, we were just little specks in the, in the nothingness. And, <laughs> and I really found that that didn't have meaning. I felt that there was more meaning to be had. Did you get
1: married quite young, relatively speaking?
2: Yes. <laughs> we were 21.
1: Right. And then you moved over to Townsville fairly soon after that. Is that right? From Western Australia?
2: Well, I had already moved one year earlier. I spent a year in Townsville by myself and and then we, we got married at the end of that year.
1: And so when you came to Townsville, it was to study medicine. And when you made that decision to study medicine, was that partly you were thinking... I can be a medical missionary doctor?
2: Definitely was. So when I did make that decision to turn back to Christ, I did want to be all in. And for me, part of that thinking from that moment on was thinking of mission or cross-cultural work. At that time, I was actually studying to be a vet. And when I started thinking about overseas work or cross-cultural work, the type of vet work that that would apply to was not really not your fluffy dog and cat sort of thing. That was probably what what I would have done. And I think in some ways, I maybe you know if I'd sought <laughs> some more counsel, I may have understood things differently. I had I had a bit of an idea in my mind that in order to do mission, you had to sort of be something or have a certain type of skill or profession, which I don't now believe necessarily to be the case. But that is what Led me into medicine. I had found the the sort of sciencey part of vet to be interesting. I actually, did a short term trip to Thailand, which had nothing to do with medicine, but you know, just seeing, I guess, certain types of human suffering and need. These are the kind of things that made me start thinking about medicine. So it was it was with that in mind. Sometimes, you know, certain types of decisions you make and motivations, I think thinking back on it now we're a bit confused but God is certainly faithful and he he redeems those things and and uses it in his own way. Just something you
1: said I just wanted to explore a bit more so you've said that now you're involved in cross-cultural work you've come to realise that you don't necessarily have to have the job lined up first or the career and so for people who might be Leaving school age, and they're thinking they want to keep cross cultural work or mission work forefront of their minds. What kind of advice would you have for them to be including in their thinking?
2: I think, like in many things these days, the choices are very broad. I think the main advice I'd have is whatever the sort of go to frame of reference is in your mind, maybe just take the time to challenge it and to to look a bit broader and to ask about it. Not that you would go a different direction than that, but it may be broader. So some people's experience or what they've heard about mission, and I think this was what it was in my case, it was really more the, the aid work type of side of things, mercy ministry, which is still a big big need and a big part. So skills are always needed, but not necessarily the you know stock standard doctor-teacher kind of things. But in the same sense... As some people from maybe a different background or traditional experience might think that only preachers or only Bible teachers can go. And so I think it is broader. But at the same time, we shouldn't just say anyone can go overseas and do anything because we shouldn't really be doing certain things in another country that we wouldn't be acceptable to do in our own country. So that there's a lot of, of sort of <laughs> broad topics under that kind of there thing. There
1: are. And so many different scenarios to consider overseas as well. There are so many opportunities and, well, like you say, God can use our decisions even if we don't have all the information when we're making them, that's for sure. Okay, back to you now, Katie. Thank you for that little digression. As people who are listening may have already picked up, you are actually involved in a cross-cultural work. Do you call it cross-cultural work or mission work or living overseas?
2: We prefer to say... Yeah, cross-cultural ministry, the the word mission in many contexts has some connotations, for better or worse, but the word tends to stick to you anyway.
1: Tell us a bit about how you ended up where you are and what kind of work you and your husband are involved in.
2: From that young age when we were married and before that, um, my husband also was thinking of cross-cultural ministry. So for us, it was not a sudden change of direction, but more of a, a gradual thing that we were moving towards but what we didn't have is a real burden on a heart for a particular people group I think more on our minds is that there are many needs everywhere including Australia but there are also many resources and many people that you know can do that work in Australia and less people able or willing or whatever to go and so we felt that we had those resources and ability to go So the area of the world in particular country for us was more of just a gradual decision. Actually living in Townsville had something to do with it because my husband realised that he didn't really like humidity (laughs) and the tropical type of weather. So unless God had specifically told us to go somewhere there that we ended up there. So it was a gradual thing. but God has also really developed us and led us over time in various directions in terms of the way these developed their skills and some of those have been fairly expected and some have been fairly unexpected in many ways our work has been less shaped by medicine and it's been more about seeing where god can use those skills in a less direct way and a lot of our ministry overall is is more based around well two things really so in terms of thinking strategically or planning in the context that we're in it's appropriate to really be working alongside the local church and, and in that stage of really training and equipping them and so that's helping them move towards church planting and things like that but at the same time we felt very challenged particularly over this last term that we've been back to really work with the person that god puts in front of us so that's on that more individual level and that day-to-day level and that can obviously lead you in in various directions in that in that shorter term
1: dan's doing a lot of work in well from the beginning really he got alongside the leaders of the local church and helped support and train them and now he himself is doing quite a lot of teaching and he's involved in the bible college as well isn't he
2: Yeah so initially we were more involved in out in the regional areas in in small church plants and we're still supporting that work in mentoring but his day-to-day work primarily is is in in a small Bible institute and my day-to-day work other than with children and such is mostly is meeting with women one-to-one and that can encompass various you know types of things depending on on what that particular relationship needs. So some of it is medical care, um, some of it is maybe what you call pastoral counselling and recently a lot of prayer ministry, which has been a real blessing.
1: The end of your last term involved COVID. How did that change things in your country for your family and ministry?
2: Well, where we're living went into lockdown quite quickly. So we responded quite quickly and quite strongly. So we're just at home, which for us means in an apartment. The kids went to homeschool. The school they attend is a a small sort of homeschool co-op. So it wasn't too much of a big adjustment to move to that and that really worked quite well. They did really well with that. And I stayed relatively sane. Dan's work went mostly online. The preparation type stuff he obviously did all from home it's a time of year of conferences generally and in some of the more academic type work Daniel has he has quite a lot of that kind of thing so that was some of it was cancelled some of it went online I had a few different things cancelled as well but after that initial period of uncertainty and this being cancelled and this not then things settled down a bit we were in lockdown for eight weeks it was quite a long time And it wasn't really a planned thing, but some of the women that I meet with, we started talking on the phone out of just needs that arose and that became a more regular thing. So I actually, rather than on video, we just talked on the phone because it was a little less awkward. Yeah, that's what led to sort of led a little bit more into a more intense prayer ministry with them. And that's been a really special time, actually. So I'm really grateful for that. And I've learned a lot through that. Yeah, so it's been positives and negatives. But um, we, did, we did pretty well in it.
1: When you say prayer ministry, can you flesh out a bit what that involves?
2: It's, it's just a couple of women that I already know quite well and we have a good personal relationship and it involves some element of counselling as well. What we moved into was just a little bit more of intentional prayer and some people call it listening prayer where you pray together and then have some quiet time together to just listen to God. And then if if something comes particularly from that on someone's heart or them, then we talk about that and then maybe pray some more.
1: And so that was done mainly over the phone?
2: Over the phone, yeah.
1: With various kids in the background, I'm assuming, at least for you and maybe for the women that you were praying with?
2: Yeah, well, sometimes they were in isolation or whatever. Uh, My kids are quite good at staying away when... (laughs) My they're a bit older now they're eight and ten and we have a funny apartment that's quite um, like it's the opposite of open plan living so <laughs> yeah it went away it wasn't during school hours yeah it worked it worked pretty well
1: so now you are back in australia was that a planned trip
2: yeah it was the planned trip and we almost cancelled it when we weren't sure what was happening here so some people come home less often for a longer time we prefer if, if possible to come home more often for a shorter time so that it it doesn't disrupt like in the in the european summer they have a long summer break so we can use that and not disrupt school and teaching cycles and that kind of thing
1: and you're allowed to go back is that what i'm hearing because i know you've got to apply like every australian has to apply to the government yeah. to, be allowed to leave.
2: yeah we can leave we did do that application but they told us we didn't need to because we are residents over there ah
1: okay excellent so
2: we, we have had our flights cancelled but they that we can rebook them we're just waiting to sort a few things out so it is it is more complicated than usual but I think we're glad that we did come now you know there's various family things going on that you're just not sure when the next point that we would be able to come back would be and so I think I think it's worked out well that we took the opportunity at this time
1: One of the things that I noticed is that my prayers for my friends who are missionaries got a bit bland when they were at home. I just sort of turned into, oh, pray that they have a good time. So one of the things I really wanted to ask you about was what can we pray for missionaries when they're back in their home countries? What are some helpful things with a bit more meat on them that we can pray for, for you guys specifically, but also for cross-cultural workers more generally who are back at home just because it's time to be back at home or back at home because of COVID
2: that's a good question it's a you know somewhat complicated one because it's a very you know, the experience would be different for everyone although so obviously I can only speak for ourselves although I do know how real you know other people are feeling and a lot of overseas workers actually find home are quite stressful and they don't necessarily look forward to it. We we do look forward to it and we do enjoy it. However, it's a very odd term. It's a period of being very busy. No, no matter how you try to organise it, it is busy. And it is not a holiday, but it's also not work. It's not normal life. And it's quite difficult sometimes to, you can feel a bit lost in that of what exactly you are. Supposed to be, you know, if you're a sort of a, you know, feel like you should be achieving something, you know, these kinds of things. And so, if you know the people, you know, some people pray for workers who they know quite well, and other people pray for people who, you know, they may not know so well personally. But certainly, some people like we find it very tiring, and we are relatively. Well, Daniel's quite extroverted, I, I, not so much, but when we're with the people, we, we actually love it. But still overall, it's very tiring. And we don't find the public speaking part of it at all stressful or worrying. So that's easier for us. Some people find it a real big stress.
0: And so if you
2: know the, pe- the person, you know, and that might be something, then that's something to, to keep in mind. People are always coming back with different, experiences on the field obviously and own ways of how they're feeling about that so as you said it might be a, a planned thing and they, they might be coming back in time of crisis they might have had a great time they might be exhausted so what you have to do whether it's in front of a, of a, of a large group or whether it's one-to-one is you have to constantly talk about what you've been doing which can just be Tiring, that's fine. But it actually can be, I'm sure you, you've had the experience that when you're having to say something that you're feeling a bit sensitive about, it can be quite confusing. So if people may be feeling, you know, they may have been hurt in some way or they may have, you know, be feeling that they haven't achieved whatever, or, you know, all these things, even though they hopefully with their organisation are working through things, they're debriefing, you know, and, and all these things you're still having to constantly try and explain it and then work out how much to say to these people or how much not to. And then when I say it in this way, then they're thinking this and, you know, all these kind of things. And if Daniel heard him say this, he'll, he'll listen back and he goes, oh, I don't think about any of that. You know, obviously different people think about it more than others. But I know for a lot of people that that is just, this the fact that you, you live a very public life in some sense and you're wanting to be, you know transparent and accountable and, that. and also it's a huge blessing it's not a bad thing it's to have people praying for you to have people supporting you, and to have this many amazing people to go around and visit i mean it's it's amazing and beautiful but it, it just is this strange thing so in terms of how that converts exactly into prayer points if again if it is someone you know and you know them well enough to to ask then just ask you know, sometimes these things, it's like when someone's sick or something, we're, we're not sure, you know, we don't want to intrude or whatever, it's just, just ask and people will share what they feel comfortable to share with. Someone asked us a quite insightful question. this and They said, what are your main stresses? He's a farmer and he said, so, you know, our stresses is the weather and this and that there. What are, what are your main stresses? And that could be back on the field or, or right now in your life. So a question like that. But if you don't feel able to connect so personally with them, then obviously God knows. Being aware that these might be some of the things that they're going through, you can bring that before God and, you know, pray that their needs are met because everyone obviously, it's clear clear when you think about it, everyone will have different needs, whether it's they might need rest, but not everyone might need rest. They might need, you know, some spiritual encouragement. They might need some finances. You know, that's another thing that is a big stress for people and, and an awkward thing to be talking about and thinking about another thing to be praying for them actually a lady who's mentoring me at the moment she said that she's been praying for me for connection and I thought that's a really good word to use because for real connection not with every single person we go around and meet but for whoever is needed though whether it's a pastor or a close friend or whatever and also for connection with God because when you're not in your normal life you're not in when you're traveling or you're living out of a suitcase and you're busy it can be easy to lose that you know time of real connection with god and then you find yourself in a situation that you're talking about it all the time and not living it and that can be obviously not good (laughs) so sorry that's a very unconcise answer to your question but there's some of the the things that i would raise
1: (laughs) thank you i I really feel blessed that you have opened up to explain all that because it really does help me understand a bit more what it's like when you're back. Lots of fodder for prayer there for sure. And I appreciate that when cross-cultural workers come home and do talk that, yeah, it does cost them. So yeah, thank you for giving us some information to pray for. You mentioned quiet times with God hard when you're living out of a suitcase and busy and no routine, and not your own home. What is keeping you encouraged and standing firm in your faith at the moment?
2: I feel really blessed to have come out of, well, a couple of years really, where I think God has really been growing me and growing me in prayer in particular and growing me in my understanding of him and who he is, and uh, I feel that's something to fall back on when I sort of lose lose a bit in the day to day. Come back to that and come back. No, I need to go make some real time for prayer. The women that I work with—they are a huge encouragement to me in return. So it's not it's not a one way thing. And so that's been very good and holding accountable and, and things like that. I am reading a, a good book which I haven't had time to finish it, but I'm still enjoying it. It's called None Greater, The Undomesticated Attributes of God by Matthew Barrett. And I'm finding that really just refreshing. It's like putting into words things. It's not like, oh, no, I never knew that before. It's not like, but it's like, yes, recognising again how great God is and, and who he is. And it's because of that that anything else makes sense.
1: And do you have a favourite or significant Bible verse that you can share with us?
2: I do. And it relates to that. One of the things that God has been teaching me over this last couple of years is the real constancy of God, but then of our walking with God. I think just part of my personality and maybe my training, medical training, you know, that kind of thing sort of always led me to, not consciously or logically, this doesn't make sense, but in some sense, it's like I was trying to sort of learn something, grow in something. Okay, good, got that sorted, and then I go and do it. So God teaches me that, and then I go and do it. God's really been teaching me that uh, every step of faith, every step I take is a step of faith. So not just these big decisions, but really our, our whole life and wanting all of our life to be our faith and that to come out in everything. So a good few years, my favourite, it's my verse, it's a section, has been um, John 15. Vine and the branches, and really that word to abide, and that's something I've been striving for and trying to learn more about, and, and now trying to trying to live is really about abiding in Christ. And you know, it's just that picture of the vine and the the branches. That the branches, they're not just sort of sitting there; they're actually alive in that and then growing. But if you lose that connection, they're not just then falling ground and sitting there. They're actually dead. They're actually Nothing. yeah, so that's been my favorite. So John chapter 15, particularly verse one to four. Why don't we finish the podcast with you reading those verses? Okay, so here is John chapter 15 from verse one. "I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you remain in me as I also remain in you no branch can bear fruit by itself it must remain in the vine neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me
0: we hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the Lydia Project we would love you to share this episode with others whether that be by word of mouth, social media, or leaving a review on iTunes. You can find us on most platforms using the handle at TLPCWCW. Music is Wholesome 7 by Dave Depper and voiceover is by me, Jennifer Mary.